Welcome to the podcast, Think Biblically, Conversations on Faith and Culture. I'm your host, Scott Ray, Dean of Faculty and Professor of Christian Ethics here at Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. We're here today in the offices of Open Doors USA, which if you're not familiar with this organization, you should be. It's one of the largest and most effective organizations in the world serving the persecuted church around the world. They have offices all all over the world uh, and operations in in many parts of the world that we can't talk about uh, for for security reasons. So uh, we're here in the office today with, with our special guest. Uh, and for and again for security reasons, I can only give you his first name. Uh, you you might be able to pick up by by the, the slight accent that he has where he comes from. His name is Rank, uh, and Rank partners with Open Doors to work throughout North Africa and the Middle East. And travel he travels extensively throughout these regions, serving the persecuted church, particularly in those regions. So, Rank, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on this. Thank you very much. My pleasure to be here. So tell us, just maybe, maybe as a way to get started here, um, tell us a little bit about, your, just give us your assessment of the state of the church hmm. in the parts of the Middle East and North Africa where you travel most frequently. Yeah, so that's a, that's a big question, but uh, um, the church in the Middle East, let me start here. It was born in the Middle East, right? And hmm. God started his church basically in the middle of this region. And uh, the promise of the Lord has been, he will never ever forsake his church. So that means the state of the church is in, it's in a good state, right? But at the same time, uh, the Lord promised a lot of pressure on uh, the followers of Christ. And we see that, of course, these days very much uh, in the Middle East. So uh, the church is under a lot of pressure. It has been through a very difficult situation in countries like Iraq and Syria recently with ISIS invading uh, Christian villages and kicking out Christians from their homes and villages and destroying churches. Um, In another uh, country uh, like Egypt, uh, the Coptic church is especially under pressure. Uh, Very open attacks, but also very hidden uh, attacks. Uh, you know, um, especially on girls being kidnapped and uh, abducted and pressured into uh, marriages with uh, Muslim men. So the state of the church is, uh, it's, a, it's a difficult situation. Number of Christians are decreasing, right, because of um, Christians from Syria and Iraq fleeing to Europe and other continents, of course. Um, and uh, so that that's... That's, that's part of the, the reality. The other part of the reality is, uh, is more optimistic. What we see is because of uh, ISIS, because of violence, because of fundamentalism, a lot of Muslims starts to question, start to question their own religion. And uh, they start to look for alternatives. And one alternative is atheism, right? But the other alternative alternative is uh, Christianity. So they start to explore uh, what the Christian faith is all about. And um, over the last decades or so, there has been a lot of missionary work. Uh, There has been a lot of Christian satellite television uh, broadcast and things like that. Also uh, radio broadcast. And that's now going to be fruitful. So next to the existing churches we see a new movement of Christian, Christian, Christians from a Muslim background. Okay. Let me, I'm going to explore that idea in just a moment. But let's, let's, uh, let's go back to uh, 
the, the lives of some of these persecuted believers in Iraq and Syria and other parts of the Middle East where mm-hmm. they're under siege. Tell, tell our listeners a little bit about what daily life is like for these brothers and sisters in Christ who are living in these kinds of environments. Yeah. The situation for those Christians, let's go to Iraq, uh, you know, lots of them had to flee already two times, right? Uh, they came from other parts of, of the country, they, they fled to the northern part, to Kurdistan, and they established themselves in a relatively quiet zone. That was after the Saddam Hussein period, etc., etc. Now, ISIS invaded uh, those villages in 2014, 15 and people had to flee. Now they are, some of them, or no, big numbers of them left the country, but the remaining ones are now returning back to their villages. And they find, first of all, their churches in ruins, right? So the liturgy cannot continue. Mm-hmm. That's very difficult for them. Although the liturgy continued in the refugee camps, uh, but they also find their homes and houses being destroyed. And uh, they, they lost their belongings because uh, ISIS fighters took them to rob them of all their belongings. Um, So the daily life is now a life of rebuilding, Um, being very close to each other as a Christian community and to the church leaders and the pastors who are now in a very difficult role to shepherd their flock in a very special way. Um, And many of them have gone through trauma, right? So... We offer trauma counseling Mm -hmm. quite a bit, and we teach pastors and church leaders to do so. Uh, And they are trying to make the most out of it, but all basic uh, uh, utilities like electricity, but also schools and and, uh, basic health care has been under pressure, so they have to rebuild that and restart it as well. And uh, it's kind of a very uh, fragile situation for them, because at the moment Iraq is in in turmoil again, right? There are lots of dem- demonstrations. Uh, young generations are very much uh, uh, protesting against the government, against corruption, against uh, the situation in the country in general. Uh, what is going to happen? Uh, so Christians are uh, really in a fragile situation. The positive side of that is they are uh, drawn closer to Jesus and to God and to the Holy Bible to to read that and to get the strength out of the, the Word of God. Okay, so it sounds, sounds like a, ten, a tenuous existence, yeah. but very much faith, faith strengthening at the same time. Yeah, what we said uh, when we, we looked at the number of Christians uh, left, uh, you know, maybe we are talking about 120, 150,000 Christians left, especially in the northern part of uh, Iraq. We said, what is so important is to come alongside them and together with them strengthen their identity in Christ. Not their identity so much in their belongings, their mm-hmm. property, their mm-hmm. land, uh, um, although that's very important for a Middle Easterner, of course. Right. Right. But it's very important that we come alongside them to strengthen their identity in Christ. Now, you, you work a lot, I understand, with uh, what, what you call M- MBBs, you know, Muslim background believers. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about that work. Yeah, we come across um, people who have discovered Jesus in various ways, uh, often through dreams and visions. Uh, and as I said earlier on, uh, 
those those Muslims or former Muslims now, they become very dissatisfied with their own religion. Uh, many uh, believers, for example, inside Iran, uh, prior to them making the decision to follow Christ, said, we don't want to be called Muslim anymore. We don't want to be related to Islam. It's not our religion anymore. And they, they look at the leadership of the country and the religious leadership who is very uh, oppressive and also corrupt. Um, now, when they became Christian, after they became Christians, uh, they, had, they were kicked out of their fellowship, their family, their uh, ummah, so to speak, which is the Arabic word for, um, for, for family and fellowship. Uh, so, and then they are on their own. And they don't know, in many cases, they don't, don't know from each other, uh, from other, others who became Christians, whether they are Christians. So they, they look for a new family, but it takes time. Uh, but the way we support them is they organize themselves mostly in house churches, underground often. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. and, and then what they need is, what does it take to follow Christ? Right? So we do a lot of discipleship. Uh, in small groups, uh, often online as well. Uh, so we provide them the training, what it means, the ABC of Christian faith, mm -hmm. right? Uh, what, is it, what does it mean to follow Christ? And how does that apply to your daily life? And that's a, 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 big, a big proposition, a big challenge, especially. Yeah. In, in a place where you really don't have the freedom to, exactly. to be public. Yeah. Yeah. So let me, let me be a little more specific about that. Let's, let's imagine that I am uh, an individual from who grew up a Muslim, and I'm considering coming to faith in Christ. What am I? What exactly am I risking mm. by that decision to convert to Christianity? You're risking your life, first of all. I mean, because it's uh, so that, that's a serious threat to, a th to be killed if you if you go public. If, yeah, indeed. Yeah, because you you are a, you're dishonoring the family, right? So the father, your father, will say. You're dishonoring me, so that's that's the ultimate uh, punishment is the killing. When it's when the 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 father is and the family is a bit less strict, they will probably kick you out of the family uh, environment. You're not so welcome send, anymore. Send you into exile. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of you're not welcome anymore. Uh, you cannot join the dinners and the the, the family gathering mm -hmm. anymore. And uh, and of course, what what is also in in many cases, it means that if you are a woman. Um, you're forced to marry a Muslim man, but you don't want that as a Christian woman mm -hmm. anymore. So that is also, you lose your connections and your, uh, also your livelihood, right? Because who is going to take care of you? Uh, so so, so as, as a man, if I consider coming to faith in Christ, I, I would lose my job Yeah, you my lose, converting? Yeah, you will lose your job uh, and you, you will need to look for another source of income uh, and maybe hide your Christianity. <laughs> Uh, because otherwise you you don't yeah. get a job. Okay, let me let me ask you a little bit about that too. Uh, we we hear in the West that it's it's becoming common practice for Muslim background believers once they come to faith to stay in the shadows mm -hmm. uh, and and not go public with their faith. Some will continue to go to a mosque. Uh, women might continue to wear the the same kind of Muslim dress, uh, and they don't they don't. Tell anybody and unless they know it's, it's someone who's safe to tell them. How, how prevalent is that uh, in the areas that you've traveled in? 
I think I see two streams. Part, yeah, there are uh, new believers who who do this, right? And it's it's a kind of comparable to to um, the the general of of um, uh, Naaman, right? Who who came to Israel, came to faith somehow, and then he asked, "Can I continue to bow down for mm-hmm. this 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 other god?" Right? So, yeah, there are believers who act like that. But I come across new believers who act differently more and more. Uh, because the new believers in general, they have a, a, a deep zeal to share the gospel mm-hmm. with their family, right? Uh, I remember one guy I met recently who said, Rink, I haven't met my mom for 19 years, you know, and there was pain in his, in his voice because of the fact that he was kicked out of the family, but mm-hmm. he still loved his mom. And he said, I want to go back, yes, to see her, but first of all, to share the gospel, to share Jesus with her, because she's about to die. She wa- so I see a lot even, of that even at the ri- Even at the risk of their lives yeah, yeah, to do yeah. that. And I, I, I also know from, because often families come to faith, as, as, or uh, Muslims come to faith um, in, in, in small family uh, settings as well. And then I came to villages where there was a, one family who became a Christian, a Muslim family who became a Christian. And they said, and another family in that village became Christian as well. And then they said, let's move to the other village to mm-hmm. share the gospel. I see that happening more and more. There is boldness. Uh, and it's, it's for me, it's like, okay, I see the book, the book of Acts uh, alive mm-hmm. today, right? So both both uh, developments i see in the okay, region so so what what do you say to the person who elects to stay in the shadows i see god i say god has a time for everything okay uh, let let's continue to support a per, that mm-hmm. person in his or her journey uh, after behind christ it it takes time right like it takes time for you and me to speak out yes or no Right, yeah. uh, so we need to mature in the faith. Yeah, no, we didn't become spiritually mature overnight. Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So and God, God also, yeah. what God has his, his 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 ways of sharing the gospel. It's also what we often hear is that people see a change in attitude, a change in behavior, mm-hmm. and that's a witness in itself as well. So tell tell us a little bit more about the dreams and visions. Uh, that are are the the medium by which I think it sounds like a pretty significant number of Muslims are coming to faith this way. Uh, and we see we hear about miracles, uh, healing miracles that that are being used really powerfully to bring people to faith. How how prevalent is that? It's prevalent, but I would say it's it's one of the the <clears throat> tools God is using to bring the people to um, to the Bible. I mean, often the dreams are. Uh, and the visions are with a person in white, right? Which is Jesus. Mm -hmm. And it's related often to make sure you get the book, the holy book. And then, then of course, this is, this is for us as Christians, those are the two very important things. So, uh, but those dreams are, it it fits the culture, right? And it fits the way of thinking. And it's very, uh, I think it's convincing the Muslim that this is really something very important. When I have a dream or a vision, it's true, right? So God is using that uh, uh, a lot. Uh, but it's not. It's a means to an end. That's I would say. So let's not say, oh, the dreams, and then it's it's true. No, it, in the end, God wants them to start reading the Bible. It's a first and get step. to know Jesus. Yeah. So how how difficult is it to get 
to get access to the scriptures in some of these places? I mean, it's it's it. Let me start differently. It's it's dangerous to have a Bible in your home or in your bedroom or under your pillow. Pillow. Mm-hmm. That's because that's that's when people discover that uh, you can be killed, right? Um, and yes, in some countries it's it's not allowed to have the Bible, and so in in certain countries the Bible needs to be smuggled in, or mm-hmm. it can be downloaded online, or things like that. So it's it's sometimes very difficult. You know, in the in the West we live in a culture where religious freedom is something that we take for granted. Um, though I think there's some there's some been some erosion of that in parts of the West, sure. but I think for the most part we take that as a as a fundamental right, you know, right of conscience. Uh, and it's, it's, I think it's hard for a lot of people to relate to the way the church is persecuted in other parts of the world. Mm. What is it about the gospel that is so threatening to Muslims and to Muslim communities in the places you travel in the Middle East? The threat is it's about the gospel and the kingdom of God is about a complete change. It's a reverse in the way you live, you behave, your attitude, but also the society. I mean, it's it's going to change the way you relate to your wife and to women. It's going to change the way you relate to money and things and power. Uh, as it's in that way, it's also threatening for us as Westerners. I sometimes feel there's no difference because if you really follow Jesus, you're going to look differently to your wealth, to your car, to your home to the, the way you think of your wife or your husband, you know. Uh, look at what Jesus was addressing in, in the Jewish culture. Everything was put upside down. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the threat in general, I would say, to all of us, but in this case specifically to a Muslim society. So in, in addition to the dreams and vision, I think that's really helpful when you say it's, that's a first step, yeah. but, not, you know, but not the end. But... You know, what is it that's making the gospel so credible to Muslims today? I think uh, what's making the gospel so credible is uh, the, the core elements of the gospel itself. The concept of forgiveness, right? Uh, love, uh, peace, uh, reconciliation, uh, knowing God as a father. Uh, these are elements which are completely... Uh, new, right? And it gives the, in the end, the joy to a person and the dignity of, of a human being, right? Mm-hmm. Discovering the image of God in each other. Uh, those elements are so critical and refreshing in societies which are oppressed and which are, yeah, in in, in slavery, right? So the the idea that you could actually have a relationship to God, absolutely, is, that, that is God a, is your father. Is a new concept. Yeah, that God um, is not the uh, uh, the one who, who who is going to punish you if you don't live a good life. No, God is the the God who is holy for sure, but He's going to forgive and come comes next to you in Jesus Christ. Uh, of course, those concepts are new. The Trinity; those are difficult things for Muslims to understand, but uh, it's 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 there. And the relationship, the fatherhood of God, uh, the love of God, uh, and the certainty. God gives that you will be and you are his child. Uh, it's amazing re, uh, redeeming for, for Muslims. Yeah. We, we interviewed on, our, on this podcast several months ago 
a young Albanian man who had who had actually he had, he had had two conversions. He grew up in communist Albania uh, and converted from atheism to Islam, mm-hmm. and then converted from Islam to Christianity. He's now a do- he's now a doctoral student in biblical studies in the United- in the UK, mm-hmm. and he's specifically studying the field of textual criticism, mm-hmm. which is how for our listeners that's that's the, the way the ways in which the Bible was copied throughout throughout generations. And he said the reason he's studying that is because one of the primary objections that Muslims have to Christian faith is that the Bible is is unreliable because there's no way it could have been copied accurately over the number of hundreds of years that it was. Mm-hmm. Do you find that a, a an argument that's raised against Christian faith? And if so, how do you respond to that? I think you you find this argument at the the theological level. I think when I deal when we deal with the regular Muslims, they they don't argue that much about mm-hmm. that, right? So, uh, and and that's I mean we work grassroots. Uh, we are work, they, yeah. So are they inclined just to sort? Take the Bible as it is. Yeah, and especially when it's supported by a dream, like as we that's were talking pretty, about. I mean, that, that's very powerful. Say this is not not just a book, right? And it's not a corrupted version, although their religious leaders will say so. But they are also people who use their common sense. Mm-hmm. They can say it's a corrupted book, but we have we have billions of Christians believing this for many many years, right? So, yeah, uh, but of course, in our teaching, we will help them. Uh, kind of counterattack those arguments that the Bible is a mm-hmm. corrupted book, right? It's a different book than the Quran, of course. We say it's inspired by God, right? And and God used different writers to do so, mm-hmm. right? It's yeah, not, but not dictated. Not dictated. Huh? Yeah. It, does, does it help Muslims who come to faith? Does it help them embrace the Bible that they are coming from a religion of the book themselves? It helps a lot. I think. I think what when I compare. Muslims, uh, Christians from a Muslim background with my fellow Christians, we, we sometimes easily kind of, do we have the full respect for the Bible as they do as a holy book? I learned from them to say the holy Bible. We say often the Bible, but it's a holy book for us mm-hmm. as well. I mean, and I, as a, if I may, you know, Muslims respect the Quran very much, right? And the new Christians, the Muslim background, believe they respect the Bible in the same way. To that extent, that they never put the Holy Bible on the floor. Right. Right. Nor do I now. Right. I learned from them. I put the Holy Bible on the table. It's it's the Word of God, right? So, they have high respect for the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think I suspect many of our listeners probably haven't thought about that connection. Mm. That, that that might you know once someone's come to faith, they already have a respect for the book. Yeah. In general, that often transitions rather easily to a respect for the Bible that maybe those of us in the West don't automatically have. Ex- former former Muslims, they also have a big respect for liturgy, right? Maybe in the evangelical circuit, we have less respect for liturgy, right, in our churches, but they love the traditional church liturgy because they they see something of the holy God mm-hmm. in that. So for, for, our, for our listeners in the West, what would you like them to, to know about and to pray about for our persecuted brothers and sisters in the Middle East? I think what, what you, your listeners and Western Christians need to know that maybe we see churches in the West being 
hit by secularism and declining. And maybe sometimes we are discouraged to see that. And yes, I understand. But there is another reality. God is bringing people from other religions to faith. So let's be inspired and learn from those new believers because they are fresh in the faith. And we, I learn personally a lot from them. And I think we as Christians in the West should listen carefully to that. So tell, let's, let's run with that just for a moment. Mm-hmm. How has your work with the, the persecuted church in the Middle East impacted your faith and your life personally? What I learned, uh, it has strengthened my faith big time because faith is, you have faith in things you don't see. We started our conversation with looking at the harsh reality of the Christians in the Middle East. That is a reality, right? But there is another reality. God's reality is beyond that reality and we need to learn, we need to see it. And it's great that I can share about this on this podcast uh, because there's much more and we need to have faith that God is, is growing his church at the moment. That's what we need to really believe in as, as Western Christians. Despite the fact that the church in the United States and in Europe, where I'm from, is, seems to decline. Uh, although I don't believe it's declining, I think it's being purified. Uh, that's, that's how I look at it. But that's not a topic maybe for our next so, conversation. Frank, one last question for you. Tell our listeners a little bit about how they can pray specifically for you in your work. If they can pray for me and my teams in those countries I I work in, uh, that we continue to see the movements of the Holy Spirit, or in other words, the the reality beyond the reality, and then act according to his will so that we strengthen that what remains in Iraq, Syria, Egypt, but also that what grows. This has actually been very encouraging to, to hear about how the church is growing in some of these really tough parts of the world. You would think this would be a place, the places that are formally close to the gospel and the most hostile might be the, most, might be the hardest ground for the gospel to take root. But mm-hmm. from what you're saying, it sounds like it's, it's somewhat the opposite of that, yeah. uh, that there are very encouraging signs about the church's growth and about the maturity of believers as they, get, as they, as they grow in their appreciation for God's word, and mature, uh, but still face you know incredible obstacles. Mm. Uh, so, I want to commend I want to commend our listeners to pray f- pray for your rank, and to pray for your work, and for the the brothers and sisters in the faith who you serve you and your teams serve so faithfully around the world. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks so much for being with us. It's been a terrific conversation. This has been an episode of the podcast Think Biblically: Conversations on Faith and Culture. To learn more about us than today's guest rank and to find more episodes, go to biola.edu forward slash think biblically. That's biola.edu forward slash think biblically. If you enjoyed today's conversation, give us a rating on your podcast app and share it with a friend. Thanks so much for listening and remember, think biblically about everything. Everything.